Welcome to the IQEQ Poll Talk. I'm Serge Kanselman, the Executive Chairman of IQEQ and your host for today. I'm very pleased to welcome today our special guest, Gita Tarmayratnam. Gita is an investment professional with more than 20 years of experience in a number of fields, one of them being private equity, but also venture capital, development finance, and impact investing in emerging markets, in America and in Europe. She's also the CEO of Equalitas Capital Partners and leads the impact investment practice. She advises investors, intermediaries, international development actors and companies interested in creating and implementing impact investment and sustainable development goals in relation to investment products. Gita, I hope you are doing great today. Thanks, Serge. How are I'm you? Well. Thank you. I'm doing very well. Excellent. Excellent. So, according to Morningstar, funds that have invested according to ESG standards have attracted net inflows of more than 70 billion globally between April and June this year. And this brings the assets of those funds of above $1 trillion. Um, the disruption caused by COVID-19 seems to have accelerated the growth of those ESG-focused funds. Is it the way you read things? So, Serge, my, my reading of the situation is that uh, I'm not at all surprised to see the increase in both the demand as well as the uh, the confirmation of the performance of uh, investment funds, which have ESG at the heart of their of their mandate. Um, I think it's really helpful for us to just take a moment to go into uh, breaking apart what the E, the S and the G stands for and what it actually means from a practical perspective. When we think about the S of ESG, the social, two elements which are at the heart of the S are actually number one, how it is that the health and safety of employees is uh, implemented. The second of which is employee rights and uh, the satisfaction with job conditions. Both of these areas have, have become really central during the time of COVID. Um, if you look at the governance side of things, it is relatively easy, one would argue, in times of, of economic growth uh, for businesses to, to glide along quite smoothly. It is in times of extreme turbulence like we're going through right now, and we're not quite sure when we're going to be out of it. The board role is so significant in terms of being able to engage with the executive function of companies. So that's at the heart of the, of the governance element. And from an environmental perspective, you know, we just need to see what is happening on the West Coast of the US right now. We need to take a look at what's happening across the world because unfortunately, the effects of climate change have not uh, significantly slowed down as a result of the other crises that we're going through. And so companies have had to definitely increase their visibility and attention to these matters. And for those businesses which have received capital from investment funds who are already doing this, were already ahead of the game. It is a tough time, but I'm fully expecting there to be definitely lower volatility associated with the returns of fund managers um, who have really uh, taken ESG seriously and put that in the practice within their portfolio. Very interesting. Thank you. Uh, we, we see that in the last uh, five years, ESG has been a buzzword. I mean, how would you define ESG-focused funds? What do you see? I mean, 
of what are the normal processes that a fund manager needs to follow to make his or her fund ESG compliant. So I, I, I find this interesting that it's really been more in the last five years um, that ESG is is sounding like a buzzword. Um, for those of us who've been around quite a bit longer, uh, and especially in the emerging markets, when we think about Africa, Latin America, Asia, especially because of the development finance institutions, who, who I would argue uh, were the ones who innovated the, the true practice of ESG um, and the engagement with fund managers. As a result of that, from 2006, ESG has been very much part and parcel of any fund manager who has received capital from a development finance institution. So what does that mean? Practically, that means from 2007, 2008, we have had clarity across our continents in terms of what the processes and procedures should be from an environmental and a social perspective. And this was put together through the auspices of an engagement led by the IFC, the private sector arm of the World Bank, and they developed the uh, environmental and social safeguards. Um, and these are called the performance standards. They're extremely clear but they're also extremely elastic, which allows you as a fund manager to adjust the implementation of this relative to your geography, the size of the company you're investing in, the sector, the risk, and the materiality from an environmental and social perspective. They followed that up quite quickly, actually, and more than 30 development finance institutions agreed a process and an approach relating to go corporate governance. Um, and really broke it down into what does this mean if you are a family-owned business versus a business that's listed on an exchange? And how do you get from point A to point C or point D, depending on what that uh, process was going to be during your portfolio management of the business? So ESG for me, from a buzzword perspective, I'm so glad that it has slipped into a more normal common lexicon um, on the uh, in, in more recent times, on the flip side of this, for a fund manager to be truly considered uh, one who is ESG focused or one that is ESG compliant, uh, for me, that means ensuring that you are embedding the ESG processes which are linked to very clear targets and consequences of lack of, of performance into your investment process from the point of deal flow uh, and, and the development of your pipeline through to the assessment uh, of a transaction at the point at which you are actually going to make the investment, really understanding and bringing into the valuation the consequences of uh, pre-existing uh, conditions um, and ensuring that at the point of exit, you are preparing for the best exit you can possibly get which means preparing from an ESG perspective to ensure that the sale is going to fully go through and that you're not going to end up in a situation, which often does happen, uh, whereby some of the sale proceeds are kept in escrow uh, to ensure that any uh, pre-existing conditions are not going to manifest and uh, affect the, the value of the business after the, the, the purchase. Are there key um, regulatory and compliance considerations uh, that a fund manager should follow when setting up an ESG focused fund? Definitely. Um, this, this, this shouldn't need to be said, but it, it, it sometimes does. Um, and this is that the floor has to be the regulations in the countries of operation. And all our countries globally have got standards and processes in place. And so that has to be the floor. In terms of other regulatory aspects, 
this actually becomes quite interesting because on the private equity side, if you as a fund manager have a presence on the board of a portfolio company, then actually you also have the liabilities associated with the ESG performance of that business and consequences of that business within that local jurisdiction. So it's also important to look at the Companies Act of the country in which that company is actually uh, operating. Um, and uh, sitting on boards offshore doesn't often protect you sufficiently. Um, one of the things I, I do want to bring up is um, one of, uh, one of the, the leading regulations in the world is actually the King Code of Corporate Governance in South Africa. And this was initially set up at the, uh, at, you know, at the end of apartheid, where the private sector was told in no uncertain terms it needed to be part of creating the new economy of South Africa. And a new corporate governance code was uh, put together, and it was the leading corporate uh, governance code in the world. Because what they did is they made it part of the fiduciary duty of board members to be fully accountable for the environmental and social consequences of the businesses uh, that they were on the boards of. There were no other corporate governance codes in the world that required that because most of the corporate governance codes, including here in the UK and in the US, actually had a separation, uh, a legal separation of the company from the environment in which it, uh, it operated, which is why in these regions you had a rise of shareholder activism Whereas in, in, if you look in more emerging markets, what happened is ESG has been very organic to the operations of businesses and there has been less of a, of a pivot. So it's been less of a buzzword because to a large extent, it's about uh, you know, shedding light on practices, which frankly were already there for so many other reasons. This is impressive. I mean, it shows us that the emerging markets can teach us a lot. Uh, in terms of performance, I mean, you mentioned that, I mean, the funds, the SG funds, focus funds are quite performant, but can you give us uh, some, uh, some information, some elements of comparison with other funds, please? Uh, sure. So there's, uh, there's been quite a lot of uh, analysis that's happened after, after COVID has, uh, has struck. Um, and as of June, there were some very interesting numbers that were, were coming out. Um, and as that was reported in the in the Financial Times, within the UK, UK sustainable funds return 9.1% over the past five years. And you can compare that with a loss of 0.1% for funds investing broadly across British stocks, which arguably did not have sustainability and ESG at the heart of that. There are plenty of uh, sort of examples. Um, on the listed side, there was a, an analysis that was done over a data set of over 3,000 uh, stocks in the US. And what they found was there was actually an outperformance by about 4.5% for businesses in investment funds, which had strong ESG processes and standards in place. Um, I am, and um, Serge, you'll, you'll make note that actually, as I'm speaking, I keep coming back to uh, implementation because the paperwork is insufficient. It really is a live practice and it leads, uh, it should lead fund managers to making very uncomfortable decisions. Um, however, they are the decisions which are right when you're thinking about what is your fiduciary duty to these portfolio companies. Um, and so from an incentive alignment perspective, um, ESG for me is, is a fascinating space because 
quite often, if you're thinking in sort of old capitalism versus the world uh, mental frameworks, you actually presume that there is a significant trade-off. But if you look at it as a case of another set of tools by which to improve and enhance the these businesses, and we've reached a point where it has just become completely um, uh, impossible for us not to recognize the validity and the criticality of each of these businesses informing those cells that form the units of our economy. Without uh, all of that working well, we end up with you know issues we've had to deal with at the tail end uh, in recent years, including uh, vast inequalities uh, and, and including a breakdown in terms of uh, sectoral engagement um, of key sectors within our economies uh, relating to food security, relating to health security, uh, relating to uh, education security. And uh, we're dealing with some of those issues right now. But I'm very much heartened because going back to the performance of these investments, for anyone who still needs to be convinced, um, there is data beyond reproach available now. I'd like now that we focus a little on ESG disclosure. We can see that there are a variety of different metrics and that the uh, different companies uh, or the funds use on the same topic. And also the way that you compute those metrics, I mean, are very different, you know, from one company to the other. Um, what is your view on, on that, on those ESG disclosure elements? Um. Serge, I, I always like to fall back on a comparison from a financial reporting perspective. Um, it, it took centuries between Luca Pacioli coming up with the double entry bookkeeping um, and us agreeing on IFRS standards. So I think for us to, to jump quickly to agree a key set of metrics which everybody in the world is using will take a little bit of time. But we are definitely moving a lot faster than has happened on the financial reporting side. And again, for me, the advantage comes back to agreeing principles first. And that's why what IFC did on behalf of the fund management industry, albeit on the emerging market side, all those years ago, I mean, it's been well over you know, 15 years at this point, um, has brought about a consistency of the principles and the standards. And once you have fund managers and once you have uh, LPs agreed on the principles, the metrics that are reported on become easier. The challenging part for me is trying to come up with a one-size-fit-all uh, set of metrics because I don't think that is going to work. The conditions are different. The reporting conditions are different for um, listed businesses, for different size businesses, etc. cetera. Um, and, and sometimes the geographical differences as well. So usually what we tell our clients and what we've done with, uh, within our own uh, careers working in different fund managers is we agree a, a stepped process. The first is here are universal indicators, universal metrics, which are relevant regardless of which sector, regardless of which uh, geography. Then there are a set of metrics which are relevant based on materiality. So, for example, for businesses which are in the renewable energy space, there's obviously going to be more of a reporting requirement around the environment. Um, the governance should be fairly universal, uh, but the environment, you will probably have a step up there. If you're looking at social infrastructure investments, healthcare, uh, education, for example, there's definitely going to be a significant, uh, significantly uh, increased uh, requirement in terms of health and safety, in terms of uh, the employee 
uh, checks and balances that you have there as well. So the good news for me is as long as the principles are in place, as they are in many circumstances, then it comes down to a fund manager who has said, this is part of my strategy and this is part of my mandate. Therefore, I am going to ensure it is in the legal agreements with my investors. Once you get to that place, you have the same discussion you would have on any other terms to agree what these metrics look like, and then you implement them. We have uh, many examples of fund managers who are on the third, fourth vintage of funds who are able to consistently provide that information. It's been a, a, a change of mindset that has needed to, to take place within the fund managers. I think what we're moving into now is really embedding those metrics into the operations of the portfolio companies, such that you don't almost have someone once a year who shows up with ESG on the back of a white lab coat saying and a clipboard saying, here are the 15 numbers I need from you. Um, but rather you're getting in the same flow of the financial information, the operational information, the strategic information, you're getting through that same flow, actually the ESG data, 95% of which is relating to the financial, to the operational, to the strategic anyways. For those fund managers who are trying to separate out the ESG function, I feel they really are missing out on really fully capitalizing from the benefits of properly integrating uh, ESG into the into their own practice and into the operations of the portfolio companies, because the metrics almost becomes a non-issue after that. I will, however, say one small thing here. Um, you know, the first GP I worked with, uh, when I came in, we had uh, about 120 companies. So trying to get ESG information across all these businesses, as you can imagine, from Central America to South America to Central Asia to Southeast Asia to the Pacific Islands uh, was quite challenging. But we had to ensure that we were doing that because we had given our word and it was in the it was enshrined in the LPAs with our with our LPs. And what we did is we implemented a online system, um, which was very simple um, and it allowed for companies to be able to report self report and then see their progress over time. For us as a fund manager, it became a great tool for us to portfolio manage to understand why certain businesses, which were similar in terms of sector performance in different parts of the world, were doing better than others from an ESG perspective, and it became a quick way for us to actually transfer best practices. So where, again, in 2020, the cost of technology and the availability of technology has fundamentally changed, and that has to be reflected, especially as your portfolio size gets bigger, um, but as long as you are making sure it's expanding into the right direction, which for me is ensuring greater connectivity with the portfolio companies. And then if you feel brave enough as an investor, as, a, as an intermediary, opening that up to your LPs. I can only fully agree with you. I mean, we have a tool at IQEQ which helps the fund a manager to uh, monitor uh, the metrics you know, on the uh, on the different subjects of the ESG and also to report to their LPs. And this is the future. You know, they need to be able to report to their to their LPs on an ongoing basis, because it's not only when the, the LPs invest that they want to be happy with, I mean, the way the processes and everything, but they want to make sure that it's happening really 
on an ongoing basis. So that tool is called Cosmos, IQEQ Cosmos. And, and, and really it's very successful because I mean, a number of GPs now need this in order to be able to monitor and report. Do, do you think, I mean, there is going to be uh, a lot of improvement and uh, a lot of new solutions in terms of uh, IT solutions for ESG focused funds in the future? I think there's definitely going to be lots of new solutions, but um, the advantage of a tool that you all have developed is you sit between the, the managers and the LPs. So you know what's needed there. Um, it's very easy for uh, systems to be developed, which are developed by those who haven't walked the walk, talked the talk, and actually gone through the process of investing. Because it's quite easy to sit almost at your kitchen table now um, and, and program something quite easily. But the, the challenge comes in ensuring the full alignment of that information with the investment flow and the responsibilities and the accountability that it needs to be in place between the GP and the LP. And I know your systems take that into consideration. That's the first part of it. But the second part of this for me is, um, you know, just to, to pick up a little bit on, on the last point here, how are you going to use technology to really help beyond the reporting? So are we using technology to frankly replace Word documents and Excel documents? If so, there's definitely a utility in that, but that utility is relatively marginal. Um, I love Excel, but the ability to no longer have to consolidate data in Excel is truly a, a freeing thing. But if we look at what more technology can do, for me, this is now looking at the data and synthesizing insights with which you can do something. Now, one element of that we love to see is attribution. For example, the conversation we started this whole, whole uh, thing with is their outperformance. So that's great if you get enough data that you can run multilinear uh, variation analysis and see that there is indeed uh, better outperformance. Um, you can also run that analysis and see is there lower risk associated as they consistently uh, shows there to be when you implement good ESG practices. But the future for me is actually trying to increasingly drive that value within your portfolio through the information that you're gathering and being able to understand what that is telling you. And obviously the larger the portfolio, the better that becomes. Um, and the ability for you to sort of learn from previous experiences. And in this way, um, it's also going to be quite interesting if we're able to connect this data to see how businesses are performing over a far longer period of time, regardless of who has invested. Because we know there's sufficient sort of shift of businesses from one fund manager to another. So being able to see that longevity, I think would be fascinating, um, but it will be adding value immediately as a portfolio management tool. You have added a lot of value to uh, the conversation here. I mean, wonderful to have had you today. I mean, you have so so much practical experience in this field. I mean, I'm sure a number of GPs are going to love working with you, continue working with you in the future. And I hope you're going to get new ones as well through that conversation. Gita, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Serge, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.